we can cue our fancy intro music that we don't have. But Josh and I here today, we're going to go over what we are seeing in the residential space. It has been, well, it's kind of been a little quiet from our side, but it's, it feels like it's been a crazy past couple months here of what's going on in the market as a whole. Yeah, it seems like the, you know, almost on a daily basis, if you, you know, if you pull up CNBC or whatever news source you look at, you know, the market's up two, three percent one day and down two, three percent the next day. And the biggest trend you can get might be two or three days. That's as long as anyone on the street is going. And then it's flipping and making up the difference. Yeah, it's been, it's been wild, kind of say. That's probably why, you know, we haven't, especially on the residential side, I mean, we, we haven't actively done a residential deal since uh, the end of 2018. We closed those in 2019, but man, it's been, it's been quite a few years now that we have not brought out uh, a new residential deal. We didn't bring anything out in the third quarter, so we're kind of recapping how the third quarter went, and, and it's another quarter with, with no real uh, deals that we thought would fit on the residential side. Yeah, and even, even those deals that we did, we, we basically executed the full renovation plan, leased them up, let the P&Ls married in. We've actually sold a handful of them as well between Oak Hollow and um, Heritage. You know, we, yeah, those are heavy lift renovation work. Kind of that end of the 2018-19 phase was now we're talking about like very, very much value add. If there was stuff left in 2019 or even if there's stuff left now that hasn't had a renovation done to it, it's a little dicey on kind of the condition that's going to be in, right. to say the least, maybe. But So most of what we're seeing right now is we're just seeing a lot of volatility, a kind of a lot of ups and downs of what's happening. And, and that's hit us everywhere from uh, the bank component. So bank bridge loan, that's something where you're normally going in and you're looking at a property and saying, hey, based on our track record, we can turn this around. We could do this deal. And banks would lend on that kind of lending on the track record and the expectation of what you could bring to market. And that's pretty much all dried up. Yeah, a combination of, you know, the small community bank lenders that we really, we built our business with um, have all been gobbled up and with a bunch of bank aggregation over the last couple of years, along with the banks wanting to take that risk of taking a property, maybe it's occupied, but the rents are low and you need to vacate that property and bring it all the way back up. That, that book of business for them is not of appetite right now for a bank. Yeah. So essentially that means the lending for that is not there. Gone. <laughs> gone. Gone. Not there. That's, what, that's our experience. That we're, that's what we're seeing. It might be different in other places, but here in Atlanta, that's kind of what we've been seeing. And it's gotten tighter and tighter on that front over the past couple of years of what those loans look like. And now they're, they're kind of gone for, for all intents and purposes. Another part we're starting to see too, and, and we haven't seen this on residential because we haven't... Uh, done a new residential deal, but it has impacted uh, refinance stuff that we've looked at, where we have banks that are basically having a signed commitment letter. Uh, we're going through the process with them, and then they're backing out of that commitment, uh, in the, kind of in the middle of a project, essentially. Right, with the kind of historic uh, rate hikes that have happened over the last six months, banks are, ch- are being challenged on how they price deals, and are they pricing ahead of the market? Are they pricing behind the market? Can they keep up with the market? Um, it's, it's been really interesting. If anyone's been, if you look at a chart of the, the U.S. Treasury, the ten-year Treasury, that's a lot of what our banks are um, tying their their rates to, and um, it's it's had a ton of movement up and down. Um, trajectory has been up, but um, it'll have softening. Like this week is softer than last week. Yeah. But that's also we think about how the community banking world works. It's not like a mortgage where 
kind of goes off to Fannie and no one assumes any risk. You're kind of like, okay, whatever. Most community banks are holding this paper or they're doing an interest rate swap with that paper. So or that by paper, I mean by that debt. So they're on the hook for whether they're making their depositors uh, money or not. So they're very, very tied to how that thing is going to perform, what interest rates are going to do. Therefore, it makes them a little more hesitant in our experience. That's what we're seeing right now. Yep. So, and also just, you know, the, I don't know if it was like the crypto implosion or whatever happened the, in that. The crypto winter. <laughs> the crypto winter, maybe. Uh, you know, it's another thing that's added some, some volatility into the market as a whole. That, I mean, that's not a huge portion of the market, but it, it definitely for the amount of news that it garners, <laughs> it seem, makes it seem like a bigger part of the, what's happened in the world. And uh, collectively, this is all driving overall sentiment, whether it's with our banks and how their board of directors and their governing bodies feel, or whether it's with investors and wanting to get involved in really the next deal and the, and the, and the next market opportunity. Yeah. So from a syndicator side uh, or a general partner who's putting together a deal, they're always trying to put together an opportunity that provides good investment returns to the investors, but then also uh, makes sense for a bank to lend on. So if the banks are a little wishy-washy on what they want to do, uh, especially if they've kind of gone down the road on deals and then back out of it, that makes it challenging. And then you have kind of the consumer side that's seen a good amount of volatility. And then, you know, we were talking about the consumer price index, uh, or not the consumer price index, the consumer confidence level, where it's, it's dropped a little bit this quarter, kind of back to where it was probably uh, during the middle of COVID. So although lower, I mean, it's nowhere near where it was go back to 2009 or, or anything from 2009 to 2014. So it's much better from then, but it still had a little drop here. So you got a little bit of decreasing in that and you've got some volatility and some unknowns on the banking side and it makes deals a lot more challenging to pull off. Yes. So that kind of leads to on the residential side. I mean, there are a lot of deals that were done in the, not by us, but in the market by like this, the three cap kind of, acquisitions where you're buying, you know, you, you absolutely need rental rates to move upwards for you to realize your, your one, just to get the cash positive, cash flow positive, two, to realize your value. Right. And, and, you know, a, a part of the story of putting those together was getting a, a bank loan for a, a bridge bank loan from a lender that will give you a long-term interest only tied to some treasury that was historic for the last 10 years has been historically low. Um, now that's not the case anymore. So the combination of all those things is making those deals harder to it get may, done. And it makes it all harder to do. And driving up cap rates. So I think from what we've seen in the residential space lately, I mean, we're seeing uh, the, the very high end of residential uh, slow down, definitely slow down. And, and it's harder to do. One, it's harder to do deals with less bank debt, uncertainty with investors as we've talked about here. So, so that brings you know a three cap going to, Anything higher than a three cap uh, is going to bring down prices on that segment of the market. Where we can, you know, where we have our deals in more of the affordable space, I, we didn't see anything that ever really got to a three cap. That's kind of outside of the realm of what we were operating in. Um, but that's where the market's at right now on that on that very high end stuff. So, but if we look about. Uh, Operator components. So not only are we syndicating deals, we're also operating the deals. So we have good insight into kind of how we're performing on the operating side. And our goals right now, have, we've always been retention driven, but now we've had three quarters in a row where retention is over 70%. I mean, 
that drives our whole business. Retention, if it's too low or too high, you know, if retention's too low, that means we have a lot of turnover. It means we're probably not doing a good job providing services to our residents. And then it makes it very stressful for the operating team that's got to go turn all those units and managers to lease everything. Like that makes the business harder and uh, costly. And in, in re- retention, we can very clearly see it on both the income and expense side. If you're looking at pro- an income statement, that our income's lower because we have the downtime of the unit being turned over and the lease up time of finding the next resident. And the expenses are higher because we have to spend money on renovating that unit and prepping it for the next resident to come in. So um, yeah. oh, that's, that's our primary driver to focus on retention. Yes, you have less cash flow and more expenses. It's yes. kind of the opposite of... That's the opposite of the game, right? right? The, the game is to have higher cash and less expenses. But, but the other part, though, too, is if retention is too high, you know, then you're probably leaving some money on the table or uh, you know, you're not able to get new leases that are in there. So we, we've always targeted 70%. We've had three quarters in a row now where we are right at between 70 and 75% retention. So exactly where we want to be, kind of a push towards maintaining stability in the assets that we're currently operating. And, and generally speaking, you know, with, with retention in the 70% range, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do steady increases on the, on the residents that are staying there. So say in the three to five, maybe as high as 8% on, on resident renewals. And then when residents turn over that 30% roughly that um, we see turnover on, we'll get much higher market rate increases on those that are closer to that 15 to 20% range. And overall, the blend is that year over year, we saw a 10% increase on income. Yeah, yeah, across board, all of our assets, we saw that revenue gain. So we talk, so there's rental rate gain, but then there's revenue gain. So rental rate gain is what we're talking about when we're saying, hey, we're going to take a current rent to the market rent. That's the rental rate gain. The actual revenue gain is you look at all of the rents that are being paid, some, some that are, have renewed and uh, they have lower increases, versus the market increases that then come with expenses to turn that unit. So overall revenue of 10%, but yes, some market rate increases right now in the areas we're in have been significant over the past really 12 months. It wasn't that crazy 12 months ago, but the past 12 months has really been where we've seen the bulk of the uh, rental rate gains in the marketplace. And hence, that's why we're seeing such high retention and such high occupancy. Our occupancy rate is what, in the 98, 99 range? Occupancy, yeah, 98, 99%. You know, we're only targeting 95% as, you know, that's what we looked at when we're going into deals is 95%. Yeah, sitting at 98, 90, 98 99% consistently uh, for the past really, really four quarters. And then the past three, we've had our, ret- our retention goal hit exactly at what we're looking for every time. So. One, um, one part we are seeing, though, is the inflation component. You know, our operating costs on the controllable side. When we talk about controllable, uh, we're looking at things like maintenance or how we're handling turnover or a lot of the times utilities we see as controllable factors, ensuring that we have low flow water devices in place. You know, we feel like we can control those items. Parts that are non-controllable is really taxes and insurance. Those, uh, we do appeal taxes uh, on an annual basis to make sure we have the right valuations at the different municipalities and see what that looks like. But overall, uh, our taxes and insurance are up about 30% uh, over the past 12 months. So, and we have our new tax bills. We still have some stuff being finalized for uh, November, so the middle of the fourth quarter. 
We'll have some final tax numbers. And we also get our insurance renewal in the middle of the fourth quarter. So some room for those to increase a little bit more as we get through the end of the year. Uh, but right now we're looking at about a 30% increase across the board. Right now our operating teams know that that, you know, these are the non-controllables, but we need to improve our margin and maintain our margin as much as possible. So we give them a lot of credit that they've actually held controllable expenses flat year over year by doing more work in-house, by monitoring vacant units and making sure we're not spending extra money to heat and cool these units. And um, overall, you know, becoming more efficient as workers by, with, with maintaining our wages and salaries as we uh, continue to grow the yeah. business. Yeah, a lot of that too is doing stuff in-house versus... You know, in the, in the past, we were probably more like stick with a specific uh, vendor relationship and we kind of keep that relationship going. And it's consistent now with such drastic changing in pricing. You know, we're looking at uh, making sure we're getting more, more multiple bid scenarios on repair projects and seeing what we can do uh, in-house with our team uh, and our, our maintenance leads that are out going to multiple properties to kind of try and solve situations that they can. So. So let's talk about kind of our goals, right? So we kind of see the market being a little volatile right now from banking side, the investment side, the finding opportunities side. Uh, but our, the portfolio that we're operating, we're really just focused on stability. Um, it's kind of been like that for a while though. Our, our mindset of buy an asset, stabilize it, put long-term debt and realize cash flow. Uh, we still have not changed our business model. We have not changed our investment philosophy over the past couple of years. I would say that philosophy has held us back from buying stuff uh, really in the past two, three years. Uh, sticking to that philosophy has made purchasing, well, we've purchased zero. So I, would, I wouldn't say impossible, but challenging. <laughs> right, and, and our debt tells a, good, a really good story, our philosophy on business, right? Um, all of our debt is fixed. The, the next upcoming debt is what, 2027, we said? Uh, 2025. 2025. So we have one deal coming up in 2025. And the next one after that is 2027. So we, we have some years to ride, to ride out this kind of interest rate storm that we're in the middle of right now to kind of let things stabilize and see where things are going to settle out. Um, in addition, um, our, our average leverage is what, yeah, that, in the 40s? Yeah, in the 40% loan-to-value range. So typically most... Most groups are normally higher than that, so we feel pretty good about that position. The loan we have coming up in 2025, too, is like 30%, maybe even lower right. on the debt ratio. But we got that loan, gosh, we probably got that loan in 2015 then. Yeah, I think we're on our second it's a or 10-year loan. five-year cycle on that loan. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> and that one's coming up in 2025, which is still, it's, it's like forever away in the kind of current environment that we're in, think, thinking out that far on a on an interest rate, and that one is, uh, that one's at 3.99%. Right. So it's a good loan. It, we've got a few more years left on it. Yeah, and then after that, you know, we've got a lot of loans that we're looking at 2029 or 2031. We have kind of these way out there loan dates where most of our debt is tied in that 3.7 to 4.7 range um, and all, all fixed rate. Right. So we don't have any floating rate risk. So some questions come in around, you know, what's, what way are we going to limit risk because of all the rate changes? And we don't really have anything else we can change on ours. Ours are all fixed. We kind of feel like we did our interest rate risk mitigation years ago in securing the, in securing the fixed rate debt when we did. So everything is, 
is really long-term right now. And our goal is to focus on the cash flow that we are generating, making sure we have strong balance sheets, making sure we're continually adding to the quality of, of our units. When we do have turnovers, we need to be able to spend the money to get them in the right condition to continue to have them uh, perform in the market. Yeah, so so um, we jumping right back to um, our income statement. Year over year, we saw a 10% increase on income and a 30% increase on controllable expenses. Let's talk about kind of what that means. So for every $100 of revenue that we gained, and this is just year over year, $100. So on top of previous gains that we've had. So yeah. we gained $100 year over year. How much of that went to yeah, controllable? Yeah, so $40 of that basically went to the non-controllable taxes and insurance increase. So while we did increase uh, current cash flow, we're also looking at if we're just going to see continual 30% increases in taxes and insurance rates, it's like that's going to catch up with us. That's going to catch up with a lot of people uh, in the long term. And when we think about insurance rates, you know, we're, we're always trying to get, do the best we can, quite frankly. But insurance rates on the liability side have almost, you know, they've gone up 2x probably 3x in the past three years. So liability costs has gone way up. And then the property cost really hasn't gone up on a dollar amount that's being insured, but the values now are higher. So not only is property insurance going up, but the liability insurance is way up as well. And that's really helped push these non-controllable uh, rates that much higher in the business. So while we are adding to cash flow because for a $100 rental rate increase, uh, 60 of it was additional cash flow, 40 of it, uh, $40, 40% uh, went to the non-controllable expenses. That added cash flow, though, too. We are taking a good chunk of that, putting it in reserves and preparing for okay, what's going to happen in 2023. Are, are taxes and insurance going to be higher in 2023 or lower? And I think for the most part, we assume they're going to be higher. Right. <laughs> well, we'll assume that until they're not. <laughs> yeah, until we see a year where we have a decrease in taxes and insurance rates, that has... It's been a little bit. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a minute, right? right? So, yeah, that's been a bit that that has happened. So. And then two of the properties that we, we're heavily reinvesting in the units, and they, there's not that many that come up on, on a regular basis, Amberwood and Kingstown. Um, both of these were, were basically taking call it a classic units is what we call them and um, making them significantly nicer. Yeah, that's, I, these are some of these units, you know, we've had for a while and we're almost on our second round of renovations in them now. And, and that's everything from we're putting in new windows, fully redoing kitchens, fully redoing not just hardware, but like doors. Everything's coming out as we put in new and we're redoing the drywall on the ceiling. So after you have a few good years on, on some of these apartments, you know, they require some effort to keep them in good shape. Right. And, and on top of that, we're taking units that we're renting for eight to 900. And after this renovation, we're getting closer to twelve, thirteen hundred $1,300 for these units. Yeah. Well, we're definitely seeing significant rental rate jumps on those. And what we're really doing is taking a, a unit that was good with lower rents and making it much nicer so we can realize basically current market rents in that area. So, yeah. And a lot of those areas too, where we're seeing single family homes. When we bought these deals, a single family home, I mean, gosh, you could buy one for 50 grand probably. Right. <laughs> and now some of them are 500 grand. Right. It's a, that's, so 
the cost of living there, even if it goes from like 800 to 1200, is not 50 grand to 500 grand. That's a huge, mm-hmm. that's a huge difference right. on that cost structure. You remember our days at Amberwood where we, uh, the guys next to us would hang outside with the 50 gallon drum, oh, they're just burning everything <laughs> out front in, the, in the front yard. That's I say warm in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was, those were, those were good days of putting that stuff together, but well, yeah, so our goal right now is, is really focusing on stability and cash flow. Uh, we have fixed debt long-term. Uh, we are, assets are all in good position with their reserves, uh, and they're all generating positive cash flow right now. So we're really looking at just holding the assets that we have and operating them for cash flow uh, and kind of like a breath of fresh air compared to a lot of the other volatility that's out there. Our, our apartments have been pretty stable uh, operating going forwards. We'd be super excited if we can get another uh, quarter, if the fourth quarter could hit 70% retention too. Uh, that's a goal you and I have, you know, we've, Maybe since the very beginning, we've it was always talked first about goal we, first goal we ever first set. Goal we've ever made yeah. with that. If we could get a whole year where we actually hit seventy percent retention, it would be uh, it'd be pretty impressive. We'd be ecstatic. Mm-hmm. We can pull that off. So, cool. All right. Well, thanks for watching. That's everything for our residential update for the third quarter. We have some other updates that we're going to do on different asset classes like medical or industrial, and we'll have Andrew here for our retail one. So check out some of those other videos. And thanks for watching. Thank you.